Oh my. Thank you, you guys. Thank you. Please sit down. Thank you. Oh, that's so kind. Yeah, those, those words were just far too kind. Um, I'm so excited to be here this morning with you all. It really is fun. We are from Denver. So we drove actually from Denver um, because our dear friend Lakenna is visiting. She, um, this is her first time to America. Um, she runs our job creation program, Landmine Design. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that in a little bit. But um, this is our first time a dear family from our church generously purchased her ticket. And so she came back and has been here for three weeks and she leaves tomorrow. So she's seen a lot of America and has seen a lot of different things. So yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, so I just wanted to tell you a little bit about Amritha, too. So I've worked with Amritha now, I think, for seven years. So it's been a while that we've been working together. And we began working um, in Cambodia together. And the first slide that I'll show you here is a picture of Amritha. Yeah, there we go. And that is Pastor Amritha uh, in a minefield in Cambodia where we work. And this picture was taken... Um, shortly after we had visited the home of a dear family. This is when on our first trip, her first trip to Cambodia with me. And we visited a family, the next slide, who lives in this, who lived in this hut. And this family was really dear to us and we'd go and check on them often when we were out there. We'd help with different needs that they had, whether it was food or critical medical care for their family or their kids. We walked up to their hut and you can kind of see it leaning over to that side. And at this point, they weren't, um, they weren't feeling safe enough to sleep in their hut, so they weren't sleeping there. They were sleeping outside of the hut. And they shared that with us and just shared of their deepness of poverty and what was going on for them. This was Amritha's first time with me in the village. We left that hut and started walking down this dirt road back to the school that we run in that village. And I just broke down in tears, which is not uncommon for me. I cry a lot. And I broke down in tears. Amritha kind of looked at me like, what are you, what's happening right now? I'm crying. We have a team of 35 people that's waiting for us at the school, and I'm just weeping, and I'm not ready at all to lead this team. And we're walking, and, and the, just the brokenness, just the enormity of the poverty really hit me. And uh, we sat, and we just stood on that dirt road and cried for a while. We shed many tears together. I don't want you to think that's all we do. We cry a lot, man. We cry a lot. But, but we also cry for joy. And this last week, we're crying for joy because baby Nala is here. And I get a meter today. I'm so excited. So amen to that. Amen and cheers. So we're really excited to be here. I'm honored to be here with you, Kalos. I feel honored that Pradeepan and Amritha would have asked me to come and share. And as they asked, they said, just share your bread and butter sermon. And so I thought, okay, what? What would I like to share? What's God putting on my heart? And it didn't take me long to think of my favorite passage in scripture. Well, I don't know if it's my favorite, but it's in the top five. And um, so I'm going to share with you from Isaiah 58. It's, had a, it's a passage that we were sharing with some of the folks at dinner last night that we've kind of known this, this passage for uh, 25 years or longer, but it really had a deep impact on us about 25 years ago and has really shaped a lot of who we are. So I'm excited to share that with you. Um, but before I do, uh, would you just um, pray with me for a minute? God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for Kalos Church. I thank you that they are making known the beauty of Jesus here in Bellevue. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. Father, today as we open up your word, I pray that we would not just be listeners and consumers of your word, but Father, that we would actually take your words and become doers of your word based on what you are telling us through your word this morning in your Holy Spirit. 
Father, there's bound to be something that I say that's misspoken or that's spoken out of emotion or nerves or, um, or, or just might be wrong. God, I just pray that you would cover that by your grace and that your spirit would speak and that we wouldn't get stuck on whatever that might be, but that we would listen to your spirit through the very words that you spoke to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So yeah, I am here with my husband, Todd. And just two months ago, um, my husband is kind of a health fanatic and he was working, or he wasn't working, he was trying to balance on a balance board and he fell and hit, you know, caught himself and actually ended up fracturing his elbow. And uh, it was horrible. And it was two days before our son's wedding and he was officiating that wedding. And so it was, it, it was a lot. I'm not going to lie, it was a lot. And um, we were so thankful for the medical community and so thankful for the advances in technology that we had and it was available to us. But before we could know what all those were, we had to go to the hospital. And Todd was in extreme agonizing pain, um, as you can imagine. And we found out after the doctor examined him, he didn't know. We walked in, Todd's just in pain, and we're like, hey, something's wrong with his elbow. We don't know what's going on. But the doctor didn't know until he examined him x-rayed him and really evaluated him, then he realized what was wrong, and that was that Todd's elbow radio head had fractured completely off and shattered into a million pieces. And then, I know it's gross, I'm sorry for those of you who have a light stomach, you'll get over it. Um, So they had to operate and like insert a rod and put a new elbow, so he has a bionic elbow now. Uh, And then he had to go through, and he's in the midst of a lot of therapy right now. I tell you that story not to gross you out. I tell you that story because what we're going to do is a little bit what the doctors did for Todd. Before he got in, they didn't know how deep and how how wounded his elbow was. They didn't know that he would need a replacement. They had to evaluate, they had to x-ray, and they had to just determine what was going on for him. It wasn't apparent on the surface other than his agonizing cries. Uh, That was the only thing that was apparent. It wasn't until they took, took a little deeper look to see what happened. And so this morning, we're going to kind of do that, um, and we're going to do that in terms of our worship. We're going to look at Isaiah 58. So if you will turn in your Bibles, and there's going to be a passage on the, on the screen too. There's a lot of things happening up here that are not supposed to be happening. So um, we're going we're gonna to read from Isaiah 58. Let me just tell you, the verse up here, the passage up here is out of the NIV I'm actually reading out of the New Living Translation, so you'll just get a little bit broader view of that, okay? So I'm going to read from my translation so I don't get messed up, but you follow along in the NIV. Isaiah 58 says this, shout with the voice of a trumpet blast, shout aloud, don't be timid, tell my people Israel of their sins, yet they act so pious, they come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you. They say, why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice. I tell you why, I responded. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, Bowing your heads like reeds, bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? I'm I'm interested in this passage for many reasons, but I want to set up the context for it. So the context is this Israel had, had returned from 50 years of captivity in Babylon. They had been freed and they returned to Jerusalem. 
Here they are in Jerusalem living their lives, and they start worshiping as well. It's a part of what they do. They are followers of God, and they start worshiping. And they're living their lives. And through Isaiah, God evaluated, he examined, and he determined, he gave this determination about their worship, just like the doctors did with Todd's broken off elbow. And here's some of the things that Isaiah noticed. Isaiah noticed they attended, um, they regularly came to the church, excited to learn all about God. They acted like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God, a people of prayer. They were strongly a people of prayer, asking God to take action on their behalf. They were, were a people pretending they wanted to be near God. They were a people who constantly fasted, and they humbled themselves by going through the motions and the penance of penance, bowing their heads, dressing in burlap and ashes, the clothing of repentance and mourning. And yet it's interesting to me because it's like the Lord calls them out. He calls them out and says, you're going through all these things, and he calls them out. And I don't know about you, but when I look at that list, I think that's a pretty okay list. I mean, it seems pretty reasonable to me, reasonable ways to worship. And these words make me wonder about the ways we worship here in America. They make me wonder about the ways our, our general church worship, maybe the ways that Kalos worships, maybe the ways you worship personally, and I worship pers- personally. And I think, Lord, if you were to evaluate, like the broken elbow, if you were to evaluate and examine my heart, our hearts, if you were to evaluate our spiritual disciplines, our worship, what would you notice? And, and, and I wonder if our list would look similar, something like this. We're here at church, excited to learn about God. I think most of us in here probably want to obey the laws of God. Probably a lot of us in here, if not all, pray, asking God to take action on our behalf. I think many of us probably go to Bible studies, are a part of small groups, meet together and talk about what God's doing and teaching us and what we're learning about. Just last week, I was talking with a lady at my church, and she was telling me that she's in three different Bible studies every week. I was like, wow. She goes, yeah, my head is exploding with so much knowledge that I'm learning. So good. Number five, maybe we establish spiritual disciplines like scripture memory or fasting from food or social media or something else. The last thing, we might even go through the motions of penance, asking for forgiveness. And even this morning and every week, you all have communion together. Maybe we go through those motions. But i got to be honest, as I look at the broad church in America, and maybe this includes Kalos, or maybe it just includes you personally, I wonder, God, what do you think? about all these things that we're involved in so that we can know you better. I wonder if we cry out like the Israelites, God, do you see all we're doing? Do you see all that we do to choose to be close to you? Do you notice? It's almost as if sometimes our focus is more about us and than it is to the one to whom it should be for. Kalos, your very definition is making known the beauty of Jesus here in Bellevue. I love that. I love that. Our acts of worship, our ways of seeking to know God, they're not bad. Please do not mishear me. Don't get stuck thinking that I'm saying that they're bad. I'm not. Choosing to be disciplined in our walks with God, they're so important. Seeking to know God's word, that's so good. Being committed to a body of believers here at church and Bible studies, small groups, that's so uh, vital. Developing a thriving prayer life, it's beautiful and so needed. 
Even the lady who I talked about, who is in three different Bible studies, she's not sinning. She's not wrong in being involved in three different Bible studies. But I want you to hear, I think there's a danger for us. I think there's a danger of that becoming the full spectrum of our Christian walk. I see it a lot in the Christian community. Christians, believers who know so much about God. They have so much information. They're so deeply involved in church. They're so involved in prayer meetings and all the things that happen at a church. But this morning, I want to challenge us. And I want to say this. If these acts, if these disciplines, if these attitudes, if they're the extent or the definition of our worship, if that's the sum of our walks with God, we miss something. In fact, I wonder... If we are primarily about only those things, are we missing the very heart of God? You see, when the Israelites called out, asking God if he noticed their noble acts of worship, oh, God did indeed see. He saw through those things. He saw their hearts. He also saw what was sorely missing from their worship. Like the Israelites, I believe he sees through our acts of worship into our very hearts as well. And he sees what may be sorely missing from our hearts and from our worship as well. We're going to go down and read a few more verses to see what he has to say about it. Verses 6 and 7, and then we're going to skip to a little bit of 9 and a little bit of 10. And this is what Isaiah and the Lord say to us. After talking about the kind of worship that is not pleasing, he says this, No, This is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then the second part of verse 9, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. First part of verse 10, feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Isaiah here declares the kind of fasting, the kind of worship that really pleases the Lord. The verses that I shared earlier, the first part of Isaiah, they tell of the evaluation of the broken elbow, the evaluation, the examination of the worship of the Israelites. These verses here, I believe, tell of God's prescription for the Israelites, for the kind of fasting, the kind of worship that pleases him. And let's, let's go through those. The first, the first group kind of goes all together, and I believe it's that. Lifting the burden of bondage. I think those things, these things go under that category. Freeing those wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Free the oppressed. Remove chains that bind people. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Then the next group, I think, is group two. Feed the hungry. Share clothes. Provide shelter. Help those in trouble. And then the third group would be stop judging, stop spreading, wor- stop spreading wor- rumors. That's hard to say. The NIV says it this way. If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And spend yourselves. It's an active tense of that. And I just want us to stop for a second and say, wow, let those words hit us for just a second. I wonder how often my worship or your worship misses the very heart of God. You know, I work in a hard place, Cambodia. 
I shared a little bit about that with you, and I'm going to tell a little couple of stories about that place. It's here where we see the intensity of abject poverty in uh, unbelievable ways. For the past, past 10 years, we've been so deeply honored to join God in what he's doing in Cambodia, but it's really hard. It's good to see what he's doing, but it's just so hard sometimes. Two weeks ago, God allowed us to be a part of some things that this very, these verses talk about. Aya is a 43-year-old widow living in the slums along with her three children. Aya is a victim of exploitation. Needing a home, she signed for a $1,000 loan, not fully understanding the interest was 58%. With the money, she was able to build this home that you see on stilts. It is under this home that she works as a seamstress. Without a car, she rides her, her bike to her boss and picks up as much jean fabric as she can carry. Then she brings it to her home and begins sewing. This time, while I was there, when I took these pictures, it was shorts. She sews the hems, inseam, zipper, pockets, waistband, everything. And for each pair of shorts she completes, she earns nine baht, which equals about 29 cents. On a good day, she can complete five pairs of shorts in about 10 hours. And she makes a whopping dollar and 45 cents. Paying her loan each month costs $65. So if you did the math and she worked 30 days in a month, she would make $43.50, far short of what she needs to just make her loan payment. She's exploited by a loan shark charging 50% interest. She's exploited by a greedy boss hiring a desperate woman, a desperate widow, to do all the work and profiting for doing none of it. The day I took these pictures, just a couple weeks ago, Aya and her kids hadn't eaten all day and had no money for food. They didn't know when they would get more money. The words of Isaiah ring out to me. Feed the hungry, remove the yoke of oppression, help those in trouble. Just two weeks ago, I'm really honored to tell you, we were able to hire Aya into our job creation and education program, Landmine Design. Amen, amen. And this is a shameless plug. So uh, Landmine Design, Kirsten is here, and she's a part of your community here. And she's actually our creative manager for Landmine Design. She designs all the beautiful jewelry. I know. Woohoo! She designs all the beautiful jewelry and textiles that our ladies make. When we started our program, we had six women. We now have 29 women fully employed, including Aya. Praise Jesus. And let me tell you, if you haven't gone to our website, landmindesire.org, go. Go. We're having a sale this weekend. <laughs> go. Go. Buy some jewelry. Buy some textiles. Be a part of this. It's amazing what God is doing. Okay, shameless plug is over. Um, in addition to sewing textiles, which are lovely, Aya is learning about the God who provides. She already knew him because she's a part of Lakenna's church. But she's learning how to grow more in her relationship with him. She's also earning a dignified wage where she can not only pay off her loan, but also provide food for her family, save a little, and even tithe on her income. I tell you this story, and as I tell you, I realize it's easy to identify the bondage in which Aya was chained, chained to. I, I know it's easy to see that. It's easy to identify that her family and, and herself, they were in need. They were in dire need. They were hungry. We needed to help feed them. But I wonder, what does it look like to release chains in America? I wonder, how do we spend ourselves 
In a rich city like Bellevue, I'm amazed as I walk along your streets here, they're beautiful. Lakana can't believe how beautiful they are compared to the streets of Cambodia. You know, I believe that our worship must include more than going to church, being in small groups, studying our Bibles. It must include opening our eyes to see the needs right in front of us and then choose to do something about those needs. And I think about people like a gal in my church named Michelle Smithling. She's a mom and a working uh, wife. She wa she's a wife and working mom uh, in Colorado. Several years ago, she read about the number of kids in foster care in America, especially in Colorado. She learned that when kids are taken out of their homes because of abuse or neglect or whatever it might be, they leave their homes with nothing but the clothes on their back. They are often brought to, foster, to a foster home with foster parents they've never met and put in that placement for weeks, months, or even years. Can you imagine what that must feel like to be a child just leaving with the clothes on your back? You can't even take your blankie or your precious doll. You can't do it. Well, Michelle learned about these kids, and it broke her heart. She lives in beautiful Denver, and she asked the Lord, Lord, would you lead me in ways that I can be involved? So without telling all the details, she actually began a ministry called Packs of Hope. And those packs are backpacks that are filled with age-appropriate clothes, pajamas, toiletries, and even a small stuffed animal to give a small sense of comfort to these kids. Today in Colorado, when a child is taken into foster care, they are given a backpack filled with items they need to bring to their new home as they face the uncertainty of their future. It's really a small thing, but it ministers in special and compassionate ways. You see, Michelle saw kids who were wounded and afraid, and she decided she could care for them. She decided to enter into the need and find a way to spend herself on their behalf. Michelle doesn't have a seminary degree. In fact, Michelle had never even run a ministry before. She was a busy working mom. That was the extent of her life. But she saw a need, and she decided to take action. Today, through this little thing, Michelle started thousands of kids in very tragic situations by receiving a small gift of love. I think about the ways Kalos Church is involved in caring for the poor, even the poor an ocean away. We, as an organization, are beyond grateful that this year, you, as a church body, decided to sponsor 10 kids in our sponsorship program. What an amazing thing that is. We're so thankful. And kids that you choose to sponsor are like this little boy. At five years of age, his body looks more like a three-year-old. Working with his two older brothers, this little boy lives on the streets of Poipet. They are part of the glue kids, children who live on the streets and become enticed to glue addiction. Older gang leaders, capitalize on children like this boy. They are the most vulnerable and can easily be influenced to sniff a substance that helps them deal with the horrors of the streets. Once addicted, these kids will do anything to get more glue. In one of the most heavily trafficked borders on the globe, it's not hard to imagine what they will do. Abandoned by his dad, this little boy and his brothers are forced to beg or work for money for the gang leaders as well as their drug-addicted mother. So what does feeding the hungry, caring for the poor look like for him? It includes evenings at the borders, between casinos where these children work. It's where our indigenous workers and the teams that we bring, bring mats and food, little whiteboards and markers. We put the mats down, 
on the dirty ground and invite all the kids to come and eat dinner. They come, they bring their glue, they sniff, they hug and kiss us very inappropriately, and we don't have to wonder where they have learned to be so inappropriate. They sit down, many right in our laps. We put the food on the mat, Cambodian style. Each child is given a bowl and a spoon filled with delicious Khmer food. Before we eat, we sing a little song. Then we fold our hands and pray before the mess of eating begins. And let me tell you, when the eating begins, it is just a mess. It is one hot mess. These are starving children who, because of their glue addiction, don't even know that they are starving. After their bellies are full, we hand out white markers, and white boards and markers, and we teach them a letter in the alphabet and give them a chance to practice writing the letter in their whiteboard. Then we share with them about a God who loves them, a God who sees them, a God who cares. And then our evening ends and the children return to their normal lives on the streets. What we're seeing is that this is where the beauty of Jesus begins. On these mats, where this little boy enjoyed a messy meal on my lap that became filled with rice and broth, all the while he kissed my cheeks and lips and held on to me, it's not a solution to the massiveness of this issue. I know that. But it's bringing the fragrance of Jesus onto a little mat in the middle of a dark place and allowing precious kids like this little boy to just sit on a lap of someone who cares, to eat a nutritious meal, to try writing letters, to pray, to learn about a God who loves him. It's where I believe sustainability can begin for children like this. Our hope and our prayers are to begin foster homes for these kids, and then to enroll them in our school in the slums where Kalos is sponsoring kids like him, making known the beauty of Jesus in Cambodia. These kids receive an education so their futures can be something much different than their current reality. You see, I don't know about you. I don't know what you see here in Bellevue. What needs are before you here in this city? Are there people coming to mind who are in bondage? Maybe they're imprisoned by the lies of the enemy or by judgment and condemnation. Maybe they need somebody to care. I don't know who's in your world, but there are people all around who need love and the gospel of Christ. Maybe it begins in giving from your resources that God has blessed you with. Maybe God's calling you to start a ministry with something you see here. Maybe homelessness, maybe foster kids. I don't know. Or maybe God's burdening your place, your heart for a place like Cambodia. And man, if that's you, come talk to me because we need you. We need you on the field desperately. What I do know is living like this doesn't just happen. It requires that we notice. It begins when we realize our worship is not complete on Sunday morning church services. It's not complete in our Bible studies or our small groups, our scripture memory, our prayer. Our worship must include seeing the needs around us or on the other side of the world and being a part of meeting them. But this kind of fasting, remember we talked about the two different kinds of fasting, the kind of worship, the things God wanted the Israelites to be involved in, they're the same things he wants us to be involved in. And I want you to hear me that our great physician who evaluates and, and gives us a prescription for a new way doesn't just evaluate, examine, and x-ray Israel and then give a prescription for a better way to worship that pleases him. He didn't stop there. 
He also gave us a promise in that of healing. Let's see what those words are. And they're from verse 8 all the way through 12. We're going to skip a little bit. So if we do these things, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Verse 10, then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Wow, I'm just amazed at that list. Let's look at that list, what God says he will do in this. Our next list is coming, maybe. These are the things that God promises if we choose to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor. Our salvation will come like the dawn. Our wounds will quickly heal. Godliness will lead us forward, and his glory will protect us from behind. When we call out, he will quickly answer, yes, I am here. Our light will shine out from the darkness. The Lord will guide us, strengthen us, restore us, he will, we will be like a well-watered garden, an ever-flowing spring. We will be, rebuild walls, homes, and even cities. If we spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry, our light will shine. God will satisfy our needs. He will strengthen us. He, we will become like a well-watered garden. And as I think about that, it's not just that it's well-watered. Like, I drive around uh, Bellevue yesterday. I'm like, it's so green here. We have so much water. It's not just a, a saturation of muddy ground, but then the Lord also promises that we will become like a spring whose waters never fail. That's amazing. Friends, God doesn't just call us to spend ourselves. When we choose to spend ourselves on behalf of the poor, he promises light, healing, guidance, refreshment, restoration, and resourcefulness. What a beauty. What a beautiful thing. Do you see how beautiful Jesus is in this? He's not only beautiful to the poor in providing for their very real needs, their dignity, their hope, the food, shelter, their future, but he's beautiful to us in healing, guiding, restoring, and protecting. So I guess that leaves me with the question of so what? So what? Well, I have three areas I want you to just talk to the Lord about this morning. And here's the first. I would, I would just ask you to take a moment to take a look at your life right now. Ask the Lord to examine, x-ray your elbow, your heart, and examine your acts of worship, your fasting. What does your, what does your life look like? Ask him to help you look below the surface to x-ray your heart and your worship. What do you see in that evaluation? What does your worship include? What does it not include? The second thing. In this arena of pouring out your life or spending yourself on behalf of the poor, is that happening in your life? Are you actively seeking ways to free the oppressed, feed the hungry, provide shelter or clothes? If not, why? And what will you do about it even today? And the final question is, will you trust God, the great physician, 
to not only help you evaluate, examine, x-ray your life, will you trust him to guide you in the ways he wants you to spend yourself for the poor? Will you trust his words to provide, heal, lead, protect, strengthen, restore even more than what you can imagine? Kalo Sturts, I'm praying that over you. I'm praying that over you as a congregation and over you individually. And Pradeepan, Pastor Pradeepan, is going to share with us a little bit and lead us in, in just a time of responsiveness. So thanks for this time. Amen. Thank you so much, Carla. And why, why don't we bow our heads right now and, and reflect on those questions, reflect on the scripture. As we consider a worship that doesn't consider taking care of God's children, maybe that is a good chance for us to, to, to repent or maybe change our ways. And why don't we just ask God to speak to us, how we can apply this in our lives. Lord, are, are we selfish with our lives? Are we, are we worshiping you with songs and attendance, but not with spending ourselves on behalf of your people? Are we, are we okay to walk on the other side of the road of life when there are people suffering, when there are people broken? Lord, what, what bothers us? So, Father, we just take a moment. If we need to spend ourselves on behalf of the oppressed, the suffering, the poor, the broken, the downtrodden, Father, we as your community, as your people, we say, use us, Lord. We repent for not seeing the need and taking the lead. We repent for not being aware of how your heart breaks for your people all over the world. We know that you're not just the God of Bellevue, but the God of the world. And so, Father, with open hearts, with open hands, with open wallets, Lord, we just say, use us to make a difference. And uh, before I get off the stage, I, re I realize that not everybody here is a Christian. Not everybody here has a relationship with God. And as we talk about taking care of those people who are oppressed, let's be honest, some of us in this room are oppressed right now. Oppressed with fear, oppressed with addictions, oppressed with habits, oppressed with just a, a death that surrounds us as we walk through life. And I, I just believe that this is the perfect opportunity to be set free. And if you're here, I would love to pray for you. If you're saying, Pastor Pradeepan, would you pray for me? I need freedom. I need hope. I need life. I need to not carry the heaviness of the world. I need Jesus to carry me right now. If that's you in this place, I would love to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything, but what I am going to do is I'm going to ask for you to just raise your hand so I can see it and put it down, and I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you, on the count of three, would you lift up your hand, and I'll pray. One, two, three. Just lift it up so I can see it. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. I see your hand. I see your hand. Amen. I see your hand. Four hands. And uh, you can put your hands down. I'm so proud of you for taking that, that bold step of examining your own heart. There's something broken in me. Holy Spirit's revealing that there's something broken in me. God's revealing that there's something that... I'm just not strong enough on my own, but I'm, I'm willing to lean on God. And so I would love to lead you in a prayer right now. And I just want to say I'm so proud of you for taking that bold step of saying, Jesus, I need you. And so, Kalos, why don't we all pray this prayer at the same time, especially 
one of you four who raise your hands and let's say this all at the same time. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sins. Take control of my life. I turn from my old ways and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen. Can we give Jesus a round of applause?